well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, online, we are here, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. You can watch the live stream at faithonhill.com, and all of this stuff seems to end up on our Facebook page as well. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on social media. In person, we are at our building on Hill Road. We have kids' church. We pray together. We worship God through song together. We connect with one another. We study God's word together. And then we meet throughout the weeks in small groups, both online and in person. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. If you want to support what God is doing here at Faith on Hill, you can go to our website and go to the online giving tab, and there'll be all the information there for you as well. We're not looking for, uh, you know, we're not looking to squeeze anybody for money. If you consider Faith on Hill your, your church home, if you've been blessed by the ministry here, then feel free to give as the Lord leads. Now, we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians, and we will be uh, looking and uh, finishing up chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, open your Bible app, search it on Google, whatever, Philippians chapter 3. Well, in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 15... Paul writes to them and says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, then that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is to their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, by who the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This is God's word. So in verse 15, the apostle Paul says that those who are mature should take such a view of things, meaning everything that we have talked about, everything that he has written up to this point, he's saying, if you are mature, you should generally speaking, hold to these things. What does he mean by mature? Does he mean old? Does he mean advanced in years? No, I don't think so. There are people who are old in age, who are brand new in their faith in Jesus, uh, that they are, are basically essentially like spiritual babies. And I don't mean to call anybody a baby, like, oh, you know, you're such a baby. But what I mean is, you know, when we first start, we're, we're just learning. You know, some of us haven't learned anything new in a while. And it shows, right? It's always good to be learning something new or learning more things about something we didn't know before. When we know something, we've been doing it a long time, we're old hands, we're mature, we know what we're doing. Uh, you know, I've been driving for a long time. I know how to drive a car pretty well at this point. In fact, given my age, it's probably fair to say that I am at the peak or the prime of my driving years. Uh, I've been, you know, as we, I've cooked for a long time. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I moved out of the house, I had to learn how to cook, and I was not very good at it. And then, uh, you know, got better, married Angie, got a lot better at cooking. And then um, during the lockdowns in 2020, you know, couldn't go to a restaurant, 
Uh, we're just watching, you know, things. How do we do this? Um, there were things that weren't available at the store. So what do you do? So we learned to cook at a higher level and you grow in these things. It's not like it's your first time, you know, um, and you grow in maturity spiritually. It's the same thing. So when he says those of us who are mature, I don't think he is saying those who are mature in age, but those who are mature spiritually, you could be 17 years old. And maybe you became a Christian at age nine. And so you've been a Christian now for, what, eight years? And then somebody who is 50 years old and just became a Christian. And you at 17 could know more than they at age 50 because you've just been walking with Jesus longer. And you can, you can just show them through your life and your conduct and how you act and speak and all these things, hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. So everything that Paul has talked about, he's talked about living holy lives. He's talking about living in humility. He has talked about uh, doing things without grumbling. He's talking about living together on the same page, on the same team. All of these things. He says, if you're mature, you're going to agree with this. If you are spiritually developed, you will agree with this. You know, I've been around church a long time. And I have known people who have thought themselves very, very mature spiritually. And usually they are judging it on something like how many Bible verses they know or how much of the Bible they've read or some books that they've read or something that they've done. I'm very mature. I've been on five mission trips. I'm very mature. I've read the entire Bible. I'm very mature. I read this author and I know uh, I listened to that podcast. I'm very mature because of this thing or that thing. But if we reject what's in the Bible, you may know all these verses, but if you reject it, if we listen to that podcast or read that book or know those Bible verses, but then our lives don't conform to them, then we're not mature. It's a testing for us. Those of us who are mature spiritually will conform our lives to the word of God. Now you might say, oh, I, I, that's what I'm trying to do, Adam. All of us have challenges in this area and they come from different things. For example, I was talking to uh, a friend today and he was talking about how he had been out in another part of the country and seen things going on in some churches in this other part of the country. He said, oh man, this is happening, this is happening, it's so exciting. And I said, yeah. Because in that part of the country, they all kind of have a certain agreement culturally. In that part of the country, all of those churches, they could be 800, 900 miles away from each other. And yet they all have a certain agreement. But you know, I've, I've met pastors from that area. And when they come here to Portland and they interact with churches and Christians here on the West Coast, they really struggle with some stuff. And it's not because they struggle with something we're doing that's unbiblical or that they think themselves more superior. It's just that they live in sort of a homogenized cultural experience that they're rarely challenged in their thinking. And so what happens is groupthink sets in, a new issue comes up and they come to a conclusion. And then with that issue, they're not really testing whether how they've concluded on that issue is biblical or not. Let me put it this way. There are things that challenge all of us at different points in our lives. Fear and faith. I was a youth pastor for a long time, 
And I remember there was uh, some parents of some kids in the youth group, and they were just paranoid about everything. Everything was in some way going to turn their kids away from following Jesus. And I remember talking to the pastor, because I was relatively new to the church, but the pastor had been there a long time, and he'd known these people a long time, and he said, man, I just don't get it. They are people that are just so full of faith. I don't understand why this fear seems to be gripping them so much. And I remember thinking about it and saying, well, they've never had kids this age before. And what I meant by that was this. We can think that we are mature, that we've gone through some stuff, that we've learned a thing or two. And then a new situation arises that we haven't had to deal with before. And we find out that's where, you know, the old saying, the rubber meets the road. That's where it's put up or shut up. It's one thing to have faith and trust God with my children when they're three or four or five, because essentially I'm running their lives, right? They're three, they're four, they're fives. They don't eat unless I tell, say, hey, this is time to eat. You know, they, they don't watch whatever. I don't let them watch the whole thing. Well, now my son's in middle school. Now my sons are getting older. Now my sons are, are, are entering in, into the world a little bit and they're going to have to make their own choices. And fear creeps in. Am I going to respond in fear or am I going to say, God, I trust you with my children the same way that I trusted you then? That's a challenge. A lot of us had to come to, a lot of us had to come to grips with uh, racism in the church in the last several years. It was easy to say it didn't exist. It was easy to say it wasn't a thing. And then we saw that, no, it's still very much a thing. Morality has shifted in our culture. And 20 years ago, you could be kind of nominally a Christian and, you know, there was a general Judeo-Christian moral ethic. And you say, sure, I subscribe to that. And now our culture has shifted. And to hold to what the Bible teaches is a totally different thing now than it was just a few years ago. What Paul is saying is, is that if we are truly growing in Jesus, if we are truly growing and developing and maturing in our faith, then we will take the same view. That we will come together and say, this is what we see in the word of God. Not that we agree on everything. Not that everyone has the same opinion. But that, you know what, in general terms, this is where we're at. And then he says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That is such an important verse. And here's why. We've been talking a lot about living holy lives the last several weeks. But what happens when we don't have agreement? What happens when a new thing comes into the, into the situation? A new development arises that we haven't had to think through. Is this holy or unholy? We, we never had to think through this, right? Uh, a new development arises, a new technology appears, some new... Uh, format or situation or whatever happens and we have to process through. Is this holy? Is it unholy? Is it neutral? Can go either way. What's going on? Is it something that was really bad, but now we can redeem it for something that is good and, and useful? Which is it? And we don't always have agreement on these things. Then there's also the situation, what happens if you become a Christian and you say, I want Jesus, and you come into the church, but there's some part of our 
thinking, our belief system, our, our lived experience that is at odds with the Bible. What do you do with that? And there are people who they say, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. But when it comes to this teaching of the Bible, I just can't hang with that. What do you do with that? And Paul, instead of saying, you better get in line, instead of saying, you better at least say the right things, instead of saying, just lie and say you believe it, even if you don't, he actually says something kind of shocking when you think about religious leaders. He says, God will just make it clear to you. What does that mean? Think about what that means. That means that if you have somebody who comes into the church who professes faith in Jesus, who wants to grow in their faith, who wants to follow Jesus, but then they espouse a belief or an idea or an opinion that doesn't match what most other people in the church think, Paul's saying, cut them a break. Give them some slack. Give them some time. Let them figure it out. There was a gal who came to faith at the church I grew up in about the same age. We were never really close. But I remember that, you know, she kind of came out of a wild background. And there were some people in the church that were really concerned about the way she talked and the things she said and believed or whatever. But she loved Jesus. She wanted to follow Jesus. And I remember at the time, I only knew about this just because we had similar friends, but I wasn't, you know, whatever. But, but the pastor saying to a bunch of people, hey, give her time. She loves Jesus. Let her figure it out. God will show her. And within six months, man, it was just like night and day. And nobody made her change. Nobody said, you need to dress this way or talk this way or do this thing or believe this thing. They just said, here's Jesus. Here's the Bible. And as she submitted her life to God, things changed in her life. Think about another guy I know. He was at University of Oregon. Became a Christian. Started reading his Bible every day, praying every day, doing, you know, all the stuff. And yet was not living as the Bible would have him live. And when I say the Bible, I don't mean like the Bible is God. I mean, the Bible is the word of God. He wasn't living in the way that God had given us to live in the Bible. So for about three months, this continued. And he said, you know what? Nobody really said anything to me. I think it's because I didn't make a big deal about how I lived. And I think it's because, you know, I just kind of kept quiet. I, I didn't even know I was supposed to. It just wasn't a thing. I was just really excited about following Jesus. So he went to church on Sunday and he went to small groups and he went to all of the things he could go to. And he, he started going, he was at University of Oregon. So he started going to like these campus ministries and he was just doing everything he could. And then one day, He'd been a Christian like three, four months. And he said, I, I smoked a big joint before going to this church meeting. And so there I was, and I was pretty stoned. And somebody said, hey, can you pray to start our meeting? And so I was, he said, I was asked to lead the opening prayer. And so I did, I prayed. And as I was praying, God spoke to me and said, how you are living right now isn't right. How you are living right now isn't the best for you. How you are living right now isn't the way that somebody who follows me should live. Okay. Went home. He dumped out all his marijuana. Now you might say, Adam, are you saying that Christians can't smoke pot? I'm saying let's have a discussion about that, first of all. I believe in sobriety. 
I'll tell you what, if I was going to have a back surgery and they said, hey, Adam, it's between opioids or medical marijuana. Give me the medical marijuana. Adam, it's between this, this, these drugs that we have seen in the last 10, 15 years, what happened as they were you know, handed out like candy, or give me the medical marijuana. Give me that. I'll take that. Uh, I believe there are people who have reason, medically valid reasons, to use things like cannabis. I also believe in sobriety. I believe what the Bible says that we should be sober-minded, that we should not be given over to substances. So, but let's say somebody comes into the church and they have a totally different opinion than I do. What Paul would say is, instead of making a big deal about it, instead of cracking down hard, trust God to be God, trust the Holy Spirit to lead his people. He says only, verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained, meaning you have professed Jesus as Lord, then do not profess any other God. You have, you have admitted your need for forgiveness and a savior. Then don't turn your back and go towards trying to make your own way of salvation through good works and good deeds. What do you know? Cling to that and then trust that God will reveal these things. We've been talking about living holy lives and a standard that's put up by one generation, another generation might say, is that really what the Bible means by that? And they have to work through it and process through it. And we have to trust God to lead them. We have to trust God that as he calls his people, the people will know his voice. Jesus said that himself, my sheep know my voice. He said, I am the good shepherd. I call to my sheep and my sheep hear me. There's a certain thing, there's a certain scent, there's a certain smell that animals have, they know. You know, um, you know you, my dog can hear things from farther away than I can. And sometimes my, my son will come home, get off the bus, and my dog will just hear it from a distance and know and be ready. Jesus calls to his people, and in that same way, we hear his voice, and we say, that's the voice of our master. That's where we're going. Somebody comes up and says, hey, I, I want to follow Jesus. Okay, okay. But this is what's going on in my life. Okay, well, I can tell you what the Bible says. I can give you some reasons why I think the Bible says that. But ultimately, you have to make the decision. You have to make the choice. Will I submit myself no matter what? Or will I say, you know, I'm just going to ignore that part. What Paul's saying is, if you're, if you're really growing spiritually, you're going to stop ignoring the voice of God. And everybody has different things that we have to deal with. Pride, arrogance, selfishness, immorality, racism. These, all of these things come into play. Paul's saying, what do you have? Do you have true faith in Jesus? Cling to that. Now, here are these other things, and you might say, hey, I, I want to follow Jesus, but to forgive somebody else, that's tough. Paul's saying, I'm going to trust that God will work in your life, but cling to the thing that you do have. This is what gets me. I have a friend, and he's representative of a certain type of Christian, who made a big deal about... Um, not holding to your own rights, but being selfless for other people. And so he said, anytime a Christian is doing something that is offensive to another person, they should stop. And they should give up their own rights to serve another person. 
Okay. That was his belief. And can I say, to his credit, he was for a very long time consistent in that belief. Then masks came. Now, whatever you think of masking, whatever you think of all of the COVID rules and restrictions, and it is complex and nuanced, and I get that. But whatever you think, whether you were pro-mask or against mask, if, follow me on this, if somebody for the last 20 years of their life have said that a Christian should give up their own rights and submit themselves to other people, and then this thing called masking comes along and they say, there's no way I'm going to stand up for my rights as an American. Wouldn't you agree that they are being inconsistent? Wouldn't you agree that something is off in how they have lived their lives and spoken publicly in their conduct of the last 15, 20 years? And then suddenly this new thing comes up and they say, no way. It's inconsistent. It's just like the person I was talking about, the parents I was talking about, who all of a sudden their kids get into their teenage years and it's, it goes from faith to fear. Everything is, is, oh my goodness, instead of being you know, bold and trusting God, it's circle the wagons because everybody's coming to get me. Something shifts. Are we going to be mature and grow in these things or are we going to say, no, I'm going to go a different way? We have to trust God for people. We have to trust God for ourselves. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And what have we attained? We have received faith. We have received forgiveness. Those of us who are Christians have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. As you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul's not saying, follow me like some kind of weird cult thing. He's saying, as I follow Jesus, you can follow me. And as these people follow Jesus, you can say, hey, I'm going to hang with them. For as I have often told you before, and I tell you now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and their destiny is destruction, and their God is their stomach, and their glory is to their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Who is he talking about? He's not talking about false, he's not talking about non-believers. He's talking about false Christians. Remember earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul talked about those who preached Christ out of selfish ambition. I do believe that there are Christians, well-known Christian leaders, and I hate to call them Christian because, you know, they're seemingly false. But I do believe that there are well-known people within the church who preach Christ out of selfish ambition, selfish gain, who say one thing and do another. And people follow them and flock to them. And yet they are set on their own destruction because they live privately as enemies of Christ. But Paul says in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him brings everything under his control and will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. What Paul's reminding them is he says, you know what? We can get caught up in all of these arguments and debates. Is this holy? Is that holy? Whatever. But we together are waiting for Jesus to return. We are waiting for Jesus to transform us into that new body talked about multiple times throughout the scriptures. Transform us into those who are able to live and be part of the kingdom of heaven. That eternal life that we are promised. 
And as we await for that, we watch out for the false wolves, the false preachers, the false Christians, just like Paul's talking about here. We seek to be mature and we seek to grow in our knowledge and our faith of Jesus. And when we have disagreements, let's cut each other some slack and trust God to be God. Trust God to lead us. I do want to give one warning, though. One of the dangers that can come from an idea like that is this. Sometimes churches won't adequately warn people. Somebody comes into the church, they're around, and they say, well, there's nothing wrong with how I'm living because a church, a Christian, a pastor, somebody in a small group never says, hey, have you, have you considered this? Have you considered what God says here? And then as these things do, it spirals and it spirals and it spirals. I want to be clear about this. If we are living in ways that are outside the ways of God, it will be to our own hurt, harm, destruction. If somebody is trying to put a, a heavy load on us, a weight of religious rules and all that, God will make that clear as well, and he will lead us into freedom. But I want to be clear that all of this comes down to, have we received forgiveness from Jesus? Is Jesus the goal? So to me, when we're talking about living holy lives, we got to be serious about it. And at the same time, we also have to have a certain amount of recognition that, you know what? Somebody over there, they, God's still working on them. They're just at a different place in their story. And I'm not going to bring judgment on them. Somebody over there might be living in a different calling than, or conviction than I do. There might be somebody that has a strong conviction against all uses of marijuana. Now, I've never once used marijuana, but I'll tell you, I've thought about this as I get older. It's possible that medicinally I will at some point. And somebody else over there might say, what are you even putting any restrictions on this for? We trust God to make it clear to us. We trust God to do his work. And at the same time, you know, there's this thing about saying the, the Bible clearly says. Because what happens is people say the Bible clearly says. And sometimes it does. And sometimes, yeah, but it also says this and there's nuance to it. And then sometimes people say the Bible clearly says and it does not say that. But I'll say this. There are things that the Bible is really clear about. There are things that the Bible is really clear about that lead to our destruction. Hate, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Pride, arrogance, immorality, these things will lead to our destruction. They will bring us down. They will bring, make mess and misery in our lives. So we have grace for each other, grace with each other. We trust God to work. But don't think that this verse is saying, you know what? If you think it's okay to go do that sinful thing and somebody else doesn't, we'll just agree to disagree. No, what the Bible here is saying is, if somebody is still like, trying to figure things out, cut them some slack. But, but know that the ways of Jesus lead to life and the ways of this world lead to death and destruction. Let's not kid ourselves about that. God bless you. I don't know if this was any, me telling you anything, but it was, the idea was more to get a conversation going. That conversation happens on Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Sunday mornings, and our different small groups that meet throughout the week. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. And we'll see you next Sunday as we continue to study God's word together.